Listen to this. Zakamani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> said it again. Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakamani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Side by Side. We are inching closer to the first game of the season. Just over a week away by the time you'll hear this and the sound is really ramping up preseason. We will be talking to the one and only Brian Schmetzer today. Myself, Steve Zakwani, Brad Evans. Keely is with us as well. And she will be chiming. I'll make sure you chime in today. I want to hear your opinion on the schedule as well. Um, My dogs are locked away, so no barking in the background. We're good. <laughs> I love it. Um, the sound, it, I don't know, Brad. I'm looking at the schedule to mm-hmm. front of me now. It is a hard start. It's it, a really hard start. Minnesota at home, LAFC away, Galaxy at home with Greg Vanny then now, Portland away, San Jose away, LAFC at home. And then if you go to the seventh game, Atlanta, <laughs> and you go to the eighth game, Austin, who knows how they'll be. So the Western Conference is always tough. The schedule looks hard to me. Um, I always enjoyed starting with a home game. I don't think I ever started a season with an away game because those first few years, the Sounders always would be the national TV opening game. Um, so I never had to go on the road. Maybe it happened in later years, but a home game against Minnesota who ran the Sounders very close in the playoffs last year and then followed by some of those games. Um, how important is it, one, to win your first game of the season, just set that momentum going? And... I mean, what's a realistic number of points from these first six games out of, you know, um, the 18 possible points? What's the, what's a realistic target the Thunder should be aiming for? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was always, always excited to have a, a home game uh, as an opener. And I've always felt like we almost always won that game. Yeah. Almost always. And when we did, it just gave, it always gives you and gave you confidence moving forward into those next couple games because, there's a lot that can be said about a first game. And especially as a player, I would look around and see who won their opening game, what the scoreline was. And that was pretty indicative of how the season would shape up sometimes, not all the time. But it gave me confidence moving forward, knowing that we got a result. We're off on the right foot. And, uh, you know, it pushed us in the right direction. And I think Minnesota at home is is going to be a tough game. But the the, the fact that we're at home, fans are back in the stadium. I think that that's it should, it should be a win for the Sounders. Um, but then you go at LAFC. If you don't win that first one against Minnesota and you go and lose to LAFC, you're setting yourself up for a really difficult game against the Galaxy, like you said, with a new coach. I don't really rate the Galaxy. I mean, even looking at their preseason so far, I don't think the results have been exactly what they wanted, but they've had some players come in and out. Um, and then you go to Portland after that. That's a really difficult, just first four even. And if it's a San Jose team that we've seen in the past, who really knows what you get? But again, in San Jose now. And that month of May is five ga- uh, six games, sorry, in May, which yeah. is, that's a heavy load. And you do on the back end of that schedule get three at home, but again, against really difficult opponents. So this first six will set the tone for the season uh, for, for these guys. And it's going to test legs. Um, it's going to test fitness. And if the team's not ready for it, they're going to be fighting, digging out of a hole uh, from minute one. Yeah, I'm thinking back to 
no, 09, obviously, I think you scored, you, you scored in an in over game, but I think you also scored in 2010, we played Philly at home. Yeah. I think I gave you the assist, you scored, yeah. and then um, Montero scored, we won that one. 2011, we lost to the Galaxy. Um, Janino had a long-range shot. We played well, we lost the game. 2012, I don't remember. I was injured. 2013, we lost to Montreal. So we've lost a couple in there, but it was always much easier starting with a win, especially going back to that inaugural year. We won, I think, New York at home. We had Salt Lake at home, we beat them. Then went on the road, beat Toronto. So we kind of had yeah. such a great start, three wins on the bounce. It helped us. And I'm looking here. I, I'm, I'm a fan of LAFC, and I think they've had some tough luck with injuries. I think you're right. Losing to Minnesota at home, going to LAFC, essentially having to win. You don't want to start 0-2 in this Western Conference. It'll be tough. What we'll see from Minnesota, I don't know. I'm very surprised that Kevin Molino was let go um, or allowed to leave or traded to Columbus, who got better. That's was, crazy to me. Is that he was their best player in the playoffs. He was, he was the best. He was not. Not that he was the best player in the playoffs. He was right. unbelievable. And right. to let him go... I don't know, but I do like their number 10, Reynoso. I mean, I don't know how much you know about them, but what do you think we could expect? Okay. I, you know, I, I really do like Reynoso, but I'm not sure if he can replicate what he did last year. You know, he kind of came in halfway through the season and was just that flash. He was like the Nico of, exactly. of, of 2016, right, where the team needed something. He came in, and he's not physically imposing. Um, you know, a couple free kick goals, great goals. We'll see if he can do it again. I'll be surprised if he can do it again. Um, I'm just not sure of his stature as a player and his pedigree. I think it, it may, I think it's a one and done, but um, we'll see. Because I think Molino was that guy for them, and then they brought in Reynoso. Maybe Molino felt like, oh, I'm not getting the action that I want, and he was kind of, not not a role player yeah. per se, but it was more of a balanced attack. Whereas before it was just Molino, and now I think you know it'll be on Ethan, it'll be on uh, Reynoso to really provide whether Reynoso plays from the wing or if he stays underneath uh, that number nine. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota shakes out. I don't know if Opara's back in training or if he's still got concussion issues, what it sounds like he might be done. Uh, you know, that, that defense has been pretty good. Tyler Miller's back in, in the net, which is good for them. Uh, good for him as well. Mm-hmm. You know, a good goalkeeper, but you know, prone to a mistake or two. So, yeah. you know, they're not a great team, but they are a team that aren't, they sure aren't a walkover in the first game of the season. No, it'll be tough. And Alonso resigned. I don't know how much we can expect from him, how fit he is and stuff. Again, against the Sounders, I'm sure he'll be motivated. So it's a, it's a dangerous team. I was part of this internal, I don't know if it's been published yet, sort of MLS writers and bloggers who were predicting who would Standing. finish where. Mm. Galaxy was surprisingly high in a lot of people's brackets. I was very shocked. People had him third, fourth, fifth. I don't think anyone had them in the bottom two. That was like Vancouver, Montreal. Um, most people, if I remember correctly, had Minnesota above the Sounders. Above the Sounders. Wow. Sounders were like fourth, fifth, third. I think I put the Sounders, I think, we've always finished second. I think we'll be top four for sure. Probably third, second. will be a great season, to be honest, um, yeah. in the regular season to finish top three. So I'm not as sold as some of the wider people in the league on Minnesota, but I do think it'll be a tough game. So Sounders have actually kind of had a history of not starting out really well but do you think this season it's a little bit different because a lot of the reason that people have said oh the Sounders don't start off really great is because they go so deep into the playoffs every single year and so they have that extra fatigue and I'm wondering just to give the fans some context do we really need to panic so much if we don't start out you know 4-0, 5-0, 4-0, 5-0, or if we, you know, even get like four losses to start the season, is it really 
you know, do we have to start panicking or no, no, do we have no, a history no, no, of getting no, back? No, no matter what Brad and I say about panicking, it's Twitter. Everybody's going to panic anyway. True. So that, that doesn't matter. They're going to panic. So I don't think you should panic because I always think, especially in this league, teams always end up going on. You, you win three or four games. You go from being way outside the playoffs to being top two or three. So I would never panic, to be honest, not with the soundest team, with the history we've had. I think, you know, not having um, Champions League um, helps because that was always a thing coming back a bit early in the preseason and things like that. Just the West heavy schedule it scares me a little bit because where do you make up those wins? I'm looking even beyond those first six, seven, eight games. And there's no easy, it's just every game looks hard to me. I'm just looking here. I'm just like, maybe Vancouver is one, you know, we can win there or something like that. But it's a tough schedule, man. It's a very, the way the games are organized. So we shouldn't panic, but it's Twitter, it's social media, and we all will panic. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. But in a locker room, you, you want to give yourself the best chance to have a good locker room all throughout the season, right? So what comes with early losses is kind of that hesitation in the locker room and, and people are pissed. If, if your forwards aren't scoring goals, they come in the locker room, they're upset. And then, you know, it kind of breathes down from there, right? It kind of falls down the team and everyone's in a bad mood. The coaches are in the bad mood. They're yeah. feeling heat from, from Adrian. You know, we, we've had games where Adrian has come into the locker room and smashed chairs. We can hear him <laughs> smashing chairs in the back room. And it's like, yeah. is that really what we want? Or do we just want to, you know, put our best effort forward and try to get a, at, at least a couple of results early on. So yes, there's no reason to panic, but also there's, just a general mood about getting a good result and, you know, feeling good from top to bottom. And that's more of the feeling that you want as, as a player and as a leader on a team is just that sense of calmness and not having to rely on the latter part of the season and put everything on the line there. Yes. That's easier said than done. And, you know, different seasons, different, you know, waves, things like that. But it's just so much easier. And we just take a deep breath when you win that first game comfortably. Yeah. You know, it's just such a good feeling. Um, I know we've got to move on, but ask you both. Most people would say, you know, oh, who's the Sounders' most dangerous player, influential player, best player? It's going to be either Lodero or Raul Rodriguez. You know, if you get to the playoffs, people might even lean towards Raul Diaz. He's missed most of the preseason. Freddie's been banging in the goals. You've got three strikers fighting for two positions, it looks like. Freddie, Raul, and Will Bruin. Minnesota next Friday... You're the coach. Do you guys start Raul? Yes or no? Uh, I I don't start Raul. No, I, I I just bring him off the bench. You know, just be like, hey, we don't know where your fitness is at, and I think I'm the Sounders coach, coach. I'm very fit. I'm ready to go. That's what he's gonna say. Yeah, that's what he's gonna say. But the reality is, is they wear a GPS every single day. So <laughs> if he's showing, yes, through heart rate and GPS, that he has he is as fit as last year at this time, then okay, maybe that changes my decision. But the fact that I've got a group of guys that have been playing together for, you know, six weeks now and then he comes in is it's a long season and I can't risk him coming in late and getting injured early on. And then I'm left with two strikers for two positions. And uh, I think it's a safer bet to start Freddie and Will. And then, you know, you bring probably Freddie off, let him go. Hey, give me 70 minutes, 75, give me 70 minutes of hard work and then get Raul's feet underneath him and see what happens there. Um, Coach Keely? Yeah, I actually agree. And normally I would say to start Rui Diaz just because Freddie Montero is, he's not new to the Sounders, obviously, but 
you know, this Minnesota team is going to be so amped to come in and avenge what happened last year. I mean, I think we kind of glossed over that, but Minnesota is going to be extra motivated and extra like we need to beat these guys because they broke our hearts last year. So normally I would say, you know what, you got to put your best 11 out there, go for it with Rui Diaz. But Montero's been here. He's played with Seattle. He's played, you know, this isn't reinventing the wheel for him at all. So by starting him, you're not, I mean, it's not that big of a mystery. He's going to do well. He knows the system. So I don't think it's a huge risk. I think a bigger risk would be like what Brad was saying, starting Rui Diaz, and then you don't know how fit he is, and then he gets hurt. Yeah, can't, can't argue with that. And we'll find out next week. Well, folks, stay tuned. Ryan Schmetz coming up shortly. We'll ask him a whole bunch of questions. Um, MLS Cup loss, three uh, seasons gone. What are some of his goals and challenges? And is it true that Freddie Montero is bribing the coaches of Cup? We're going to find out when we come back. I got all the time in the world for you guys. I'm, I'm going to just tag on to one last question at the end, which you guys already know about, but go go for it. Is, it, is that a trick question? No, really? it's not a trick. No. Uh, sure? Don't think too much about it. Listen to these guys first. Coach, a, a question I've been wanting to ask you. We've had lots of talks over the years formation, tactics, doesn't really matter. It's always 11 players, et cetera, et cetera. So I had a nice glass of wine and chat with Jimmy Traore a few nights ago. And okay. I tried a few theories. I thought, did you guys change because there's no Jordan Morris? Did you change to get your best players on the pitch? Is it a way to get a new and Brad Smith? Is it a way to get two out of the three, Rui Diaz, or Brian Montero? All kinds of these theories, and he didn't kind of he didn't bite. He didn't tell me what the reason was. So I'm going to try with the head coach. What's behind <laughs> this formation switch? <laughs> well, there's tactics and everything, and Jimmy obviously had very good tactics with you. He kept you know <laughs> sealed. Uh, you run a foul if you say something that the head coach doesn't like or didn't really want put out there. Uh, so good for Jimmy. He's learning. Steve, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, we had toyed with the idea, you know, over the last year or two, having a secondary formation. Uh, it kind of kicked into a little bit higher gear after we reflected after 2020. Was the message that was coming from me, the coaching staff, was the 4-2-3-1 becoming a little predictable, stale. Uh, you know, we knew Jordan was going out on loan. How are we going to kind of figure that one out? Uh, but then we lost Gustav. We lost JJ. We lost Kelvin. We lost Jordan for good. And I think just the way things shaped out, you know, it makes sense for us to try to get two forwards on the field, best 11, it makes sense trying to get a player on the field that can, you know, match or even come close to matching Jordan's production. Uh, you know, the challenge with Jordan, just on a little side note with Jordan, 
Look, he was statistically very good. You guys know better than I, you know, involved in 33% of our goals or whatever that crazy stats were, 12, 13, 14 goals, 11 assists. But his value to the team in our attack, creating the space for, you know, Raul to operate, for Nico to operate, was invaluable to us. And so, you know, when we lost Jordan, you know, how do we replace a guy like that? How do we change? What are the tactics? Brad is perfect for that left wing back position. I think he provides some of that from, although a little bit deeper position than Jordan, but certainly a little higher up the field than his normal left back in a 4-2-3-1. So a lot of different reasons for it. And, you know, look, I, I, I don't mind having the option of playing you know, three, four, one, two at home. And then, you know, maybe on the road or we give the young kids a shot or, you know, we just, by default, we, you know, need to give guys a break. We can go back to four, two, three, one. Team, the squad knows it. They know it up and down. So there's not a big shift in tactics there. They already know it. So in terms of shifting through different formations, do you feel like, Right. Like baggy jeans are now back in style. It's been 10 years. And when you played, it was probably like a three, five, two. And, w- and when I was young, it was a three, five, two. That's what my club team played. We first started out. Right. And then we yeah. shifted five or 10 years later into a four, four, two in college. And then four, two, three, one. Are you seeing things come full circle as now you're coaching? You kind of used to play in that formation. Is it just a product of the times or is it really right. stagnant? No. I mean, when I was playing, it was the, WM formation, right? You know, back in the 1960s, uh, or a sweeper. Like my dad introduced a sweeper because Franz Beckenbauer was the sweeper in the German team in right. you know, back in the day. So yes, things are coming around full circle. Uh, you know, everything has its place. Uh, a lot of those older ideas, you know, they're good ideas. So why scrap them completely? I know that you guys have to take coaching courses, right? Every, every year you have to continue those uh, badges, right? Is that something that's being taught in those classes by U.S. soccer, or is it something that's coming internally from your group and your staff? So the guys that are doing the U.S. soccer courses, Brad, I don't know everything about that. Uh, but I would say that, you know, Gonzo and Jimmy are taking their UEFA badges, And, you know, talk about different ways of doing things, different styles, different formations, different tactics. I mean, they try and give you a well-rounded overview of, you know, what the possibilities are, because there's no one right way of doing things. It's a different way. I mean, I do things differently than Gio does, you know, than, than, than Kayla Porter does, than, you know, Oscar does. So it's all just a little bit of different nuance in what you see the game what it could be, what it can be, what it should be. Um, Of course, we do want to look forward, but just to touch on the way last season ended, of course, we haven't had a chance to speak since. Do you view that game? Brad and I discussed this, and look, I I don't want to – there's no trends here. I'm just saying. So you've been to a few finals as an assistant coach, also as head coach. In 2016, Brad played in that game. Um, Toronto was the better team in the game, Seattle won. 2017, Toronto was the better team and won. 2019, for 60 minutes, Toronto 
on par, maybe slightly better. Kelvin scores, game turns around. And then 2020, um, Columbus Crew with a better team. The Sounders not at their best in the final. Is it just one of those weird things where we don't know why? Or do you actually, as a head coach, have noticed a thing where when that game comes, something's been a bit off? I'm, I'm certainly happy to, you know, pull up. Look, and I, I voted for Gonzaga. They fell flat in the final. Uh, there's been many Super Bowls where, you know, one team or the other has fallen flat. You know, I don't know if it's a trend, Steve, because look, I have, I have asked myself that question a hundred times, a hundred times. People, people behind me have asked the same question that you just asked me. So I'm not afraid of the question. What I would say is this, okay, finals are finals. You never know how they're going to manifest themselves and certainly try and learn from each experience. But if you look at the three finals that were away from home, you might be able to dissect the four and say, okay, yeah, okay, 2019 Toronto, a little bit of an unorthodox false nine gave us some problems in the middle of the field, really didn't threaten our goal except for that one shot from that Steph saved comfortably. And we were not at our best. I, I, I'll give you that. But I always felt in 2019 that we had the game under control or I wasn't concerned. And that was because we were playing at home and you, my team, yeah, we've had spells of, you know, momentum shifts and changes. Remember that game in 2019, had Raul scored that goal just before halftime, Remember he was clean through. And he was probably so excited. That was, the first he, that was the first time he saw the goal in that game. He got, you know, excited and he, and he shot it wide or the goalkeeper made a save. Maybe it's one nothing going in before halftime. And the momentum shifts and we don't wait for Kelvin's goal. So home versus away from home, I think is something that you need to add on to some of the layers that you're talking about. I am not afraid to talk about have we fallen flat in MLS Cup. I just think a lot of people and a lot of teams haven't had that experience. They don't know. It's harder to win MLS Cup away from home. Absolutely. How many times have you gotten that question, Steve, as a player where it's a one-one tie, or we win one nothing, and and you know Jeremiah walks in, and Schmetz, you've heard it before, and and you just did kind of right, where it's like you guys didn't play your best today, and they were on top of you, but then in your mind you're thinking, I felt in control in the game the whole time, you know, on the field I felt like our players were composed, and you know we dealt with difficult situations well, and it wasn't like we were really under the gun. I just remember answering that same question over and over a lot of times throughout the season. And it's a question you have to ask, and it's one that you have to answer. And um, that's always always a, a difficult one. But as, as players and as coaches, probably, we feel more comfortable sometimes in a one-nil close game than you know a three-nothing blowout where it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So I think there's context, like, like Coach said, to each game to, to remember and, and take away from those games. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, look, the one, look, Steve, if, if we dissect, yeah, 2016, I agree with you. They were on top of us. We held on for dear life. We are better than them in the penalties. We win our first championship, a magical ride, a, you know, magical season, storybook ending. Great. 2017, what I learned as a coach, because there's tactics and everything was, you know, when would I, when, 
should I have reintroduced Jordan Morris? Because remember, he was coming off his hamstring injury. And they had pinned us back because, look, that was Toronto's season of all seasons. I mean, they won everything. They were the best team in the, you know, in the league. They were motivated. They had another home game, same opponent. I mean, that storyline might have been written before the game. But in my mind, in my head, when I replay my decisions, Jordan was coming back off the hamstring injury. And I should have played him earlier. I should have put him in at halftime because they had pinned him back. And maybe had I put Jordan on, yeah, we might have been pushed back. But maybe Jordan outruns him one time in one counterattack and we're able to, you know, create some momentum. Because in that game, I think we took the first goal right around the 62nd, 5, 8, somewhere in that range. So we held on a little bit after halftime before we finally, you know, didn't have enough. But that's something I reflect on. Um, Coach, this is something I want to, Brad and I are going to discuss this later, but I want to ask you as well, because I get a little bit frustrated. This is just myself personally. I hear a lot and I understand we must be patient with young players. We've got to bring them along. They're going to make mistakes. But you were there in the beginning where I believe when we began, I was 20, Montero was 21, Brad was maybe 22, 23, Alonso was 22, 23. The core of that early team was quite young, quite young by football standards. And the pressure was on to win. I don't remember too many times you coming up to me or Brad or Montero and saying, it's okay, guys, we'll be okay. You were pretty hard on us. You were pretty like, you got to perform or Zach Wani, step your game up. And there was a lot of that. At times now, I feel we're too, we've gone the other way, we're too patient with young players. And if you're in, it's time to perform. Whether you're 16, 20, 21, 22, do you feel as a head coach now a sense of where's the balance between, yes, they're young, they're going to make mistakes, give them time. And also, this is the Sounders and you have to win. You have to win, young or not. There, look, there is, there is, you know, examples all over the world about 16, 17, 18 year old players making their debuts in the biggest leagues in the world. So, you know, it is possible. There is pressure on our club, Steve, you are absolutely correct. You know, I was listening to somebody the other day, you know, a former person of a different organization. And he was saying, our goal was just to make the playoffs. It, I mean, if I spoke those words, if I said our goal for the Seattle Sounders is just to make the playoffs, last I, I'd, I'd shoot myself in the head. Yeah, it's blasphemy. I mean, that's not what we do here. And so, Steve, yes, you are correct. And the process that we still use, and again, I will go back to Jimmy Traore, Champions League winner, Preki, MLS MVP, high intensity, Gonzo, Fiery, Tommy, you know, everybody. I have a great staff because they actually do a lot of that heavy lifting because I can't have touch points on each player. And those guys send the message. Yes, you are here at a big club. And these are the expectations that we have. And yes. Okay. Danny, you're, you're, you're 16 years old. He's 17. Now Danny Leva, look, you want to get on the field. You got to perform. That's life. You want to win. You want to help this club win. These are the things we expect. And that message goes hand in hand with a little bit, Steve. Yes, you got to maybe put your arms around him every now and again and, you know, know when to kick him in the butt or, you know, help him along. We do that as well through film and other conversations, but you are correct. I mean, we, 
We're a club that's built on winning. Are the rumors true that as Freddie began to score more in preseason, Raul's process was expedited? Is that true? That's not true. I think I think we had a we had a joke and a laugh with Gene because the day after the 10-1, I mean, that was look, that was an inner squad game against Defiance. And but the headline was Sounders beat Defiance 10-1. And I actually called our PR department and said, hey, you guys, come on. I mean, it wasn't, I was refereeing that game and there were a couple goals that were offside that I didn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't really 10-1, but Raul called Gene the next day and said, hey, Gene, can you make sure that we hurry up and get this green card done? I want to get back. I miss the guys. And you can fill in the blanks if Raul saw the 10-1 and, you know, wanted to make sure that he wanted to be back so other guys didn't score all the goals. I'll the, let you, I'll let you question. That, that is the one position where having competition like that actually probably matters and they actually push each other. Because if you got a center back, center backs can do the job. Yeah, I'm going to step in and maybe the other guy plays above me. But as a striker, you see someone like Freddie, right, who's been here before also. And so it's got to light a fire under Raul. I mean, if you could get both of them on the field at the same time, or maybe even possibly all three somehow at some point, right? With a target striker and those two guys playing underneath, like who knows, you've, you've got a world of options. Um, I don't envy those decisions for you, but uh, I'm glad you're making them. Thank you. Well, look, we talked about the young guys stepping up. You can talk about some of the senior guys. I mean, Freddie's been great since he's been here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've laid out expectations for him he's going to get plenty of playing time. He might earn more playing time. I mean, it's just a feel good story and you need to have some of those veterans, you know, on your bench, on your team. He's been great in the clubhouse. Uh, He buys the coaches, his Santos coffee, He brings Santos coffee in. He, he wants to get more minutes, Steve. You You say he buys or bribes. Well, brings in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not bribing me, but he's giving me coffee, and he knows I love coffee. Uh, it's it's been a great reunion. Uh, cool. It's been great. Obviously, you know he's our leading goal scorer in preseason. Yeah. Kudos to him. Good. Um, Coach, I guess my last question will be to you because you know we talk a lot about you know the teams and what motivates different players. For yourself, a lot of success early on last year ends in disappointment. You said this roster does shape up differently. You've lost a ton of experience from different guys. Um, as a coach, how are you approaching this season in terms of what areas are you trying to improve? And what areas are you trying to get the best out of the guys? What are your, what's kind of driving you this season? I'm sure it's not as simple as we lost the final, we've got to get back there. What's sort of driving you um, in this coming season, 2021? Well, Steve, a lot of it is that last game. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, Caleb is my arch enemy. I mean, you know, he's... I mean, we've patched up a lot of our differences, but look, he was very, he was very happy after the game and rightly so, because on that day he was better. His team was better than mine. So I give him a lot of credit, but it is that little spark of motivation. It is the challenge of a new formation, Steve, that's driving us as a staff to be better. You know, I think for us, uh, you know, really getting a full season with Adam Owen, our, our fitness guy, you know, because he's actually a doctor, he's a PhD, 
And last year was so stop, start, stop, start with COVID that it's going to be great to have a full year with him and his ideas to incorporate all of the, you know, the nuances that gives you that extra 5%. If your sports science department is top notch, you know, you get a little boost and you keep your injury rates low and stuff like that. So working with Adam should be a bonus, uh, new formation, young kids. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that, that drive me. And, you know, again, uh, all credit to the guys. I mean, they've taken this new formation, they've taken the new, new system and they're enthusiastic. They're, they're ready to try it. Uh, I think Keely has a quick question for you. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the most hard-hitting soccer question of this interview. Uh, okay. So I'm you may not know this, but many people kind of consider you a little bit of a fashion icon in the PMW. Uh, I kind of want to know where you think your glasses game stands on the roster of other coaches with great glasses. I mean, if you look at Jurgen Klopp, for example, he's got, you know, the clear frames looking great. Yeah. So where do you think you stand on that list? Well, I love these glasses. I think they're great. I think they match, you know, me, who I am. I have a darker pair. I had some Adidas glasses early on. Uh, uh, I, I just go into the glasses store and I just pick what I like. Or somebody recommends something, I say, yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, sometimes I bring Christine with me and she helps me choose stuff, so I have help. But, you know, I just think glasses make me look smarter. That's you know, what I always say. Anytime someone can go like this, the IQ goes straight up. Goes way up. So true. So true. Thank you, coach, for that. <laughs>
um, very tough circumstances. And there wasn't that leeway. Where did you land on the, and now you're doing some coaching too. So where did you land on the balance of bringing along young players? Yes. But then this is Seattle Sounders. We can't miss the playoffs. Not only that, we have to at least win a round. We host the Western Conference final at least. Um, where do you land on that? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you. Um, and I remember in Columbus, even before getting to Seattle, you know, our midfield was myself at 22 years old, fighting with Adam Moffat, who was the same age. Uh, he was actually the starter and then went down with an ACL. And then Robbie Rogers was on the left at 19. And Eddie Gavin was on the right at 19 years old. So that's a championship winning team with 19, 19, 22, you know, three of the four starting midfielders. And no one I don't remember an article ever coming out talking about age. And I don't know if it was different because it was we at that time we had a first team and we had a second team and we all trained together every single day. And so it felt like even the young guys, you know, that were basically supplemental picks in the draft, right? We didn't really have any, the youngest guys were Robbie and uh, Tim Ward and Eddie Gavin at, I think 19 at the time. Hmm. And that was as young as it got on that Columbus team. And now you start to think about, you know, 17, 16 year olds, that's pretty young. Right. And now, like you said, I'm coaching high school and just imagining those guys stepping into that environment is like, man, that's tough because even seeing a 16 year old, right. Or or let's even say a freshman versus senior on a high school team. I mean, the size difference, you've done it, right. You you coach it's, it's night and day in most circumstances and just that maturity, but I've told these guys at training and the girls, I don't care if you're a freshman or if you're a senior, if you're not getting the ball in the right position from a starting senior, you have to yell at him and scream at him. I don't care how good you think he is or how good he is. The team is more important than the individual player. And you are in this position and in this role for a reason we've chosen to put you here. So you have to demand and scream. I don't care if you throw a curse word. I don't care what it is. But if he doesn't give you the ball, you have to scream for it. And that goes the same. Like, if we had that attitude when Clint was on the team to yell and scream and really, you know, hold him accountable and give me the ball, right, instead of dribbling head down and getting frustrated, it may have changed the outcome of a number of games. So I think that comes with, yes, arm around the shoulder, but also, hey, you're stepping into a team and you've been chosen – and now you have to do the job no matter what your age is. I don't care if you're, like you said, 35 or 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait till Leva listens to the podcast and starts screaming at Ladero. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> Brad, I'm like ready to go jump off, jump through like a wall after that. Uh, I think, I, honestly, there's certain guys, though. You don't have to do that to Nico. Nico's a team player, right? And I think that ultimately, if you do it enough and you show that you're a good player in training, you're demanding every single training, not just in the game, not just – on Fridays, but every single training that shows veteran guys like, Hey, this guy wants to play. He wants to learn. And he's just trying to make himself better in those around us too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, Keely, before we go um, on to the next part, obviously Brad and I played and we played for this franchise and we're saying, Oh, when I was 20, when you were 22, 23, whatever from someone, okay, you didn't play, but you follow the game. You're a Sounders fan, work for the Sounders. What's your attitude towards young players when you see, for example, the game against Galaxy last year and Dobelair started on the right? Are you sort of like, you know, he didn't you know, light the world on fire, but he doesn't have to. Are you sort of like, you know, give them time or you know, I, want, I want to see something now. I want to see what the coaches see. How do you view it from that perspective? I guess I can answer that by speaking more philosophically because, again, I obviously have not played 
soccer at the highest level, like the two of you guys. Um, my AYSO years were great though. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like you have to, you can't generalize it based on age, just like you can't generalize anything based on anything, right? Everyone is different. When you're a coach, you need to address people and their needs totally differently. Like Danny Leva could be, have the maturity of a 45 year old. We don't know, right. but his age isn't really going to tell me one way or the other, right. you know, as a coach and as a leader of a team, I think it's really important to be able to zero in on the individual needs of everybody and not yeah. sort of just sort them based on, okay, well, he's 16, so he's not ready. Or he's 32, so he should be captain. Like, that's not, I feel like that's a very artificial way to sort and a very artificial way to coach. Yeah, great point. Yeah, I can't argue that. I like that point. It's a great oh, point. Steve, Steve mm. um, a question for you would be, if you are a coach and you see these young players, what is your timetable and reference for either, hey, you got to go or, okay, we're going to stick it out and give you a little bit longer. What are your cues? What are you trying to see? From these yeah, players? I think training is the key because we're not there. I'm not there. I don't know how Labor trains. I don't know his training habits. I don't know. Is he staying behind? Is he trying to improve? Does he want to get better? Or is it someone who they've made it, they've got a first team contract and then they start coasting? Because for me, I viewed it as, remember when I was drafted, um, I already had the guaranteed contract from Generation Adidas. I was just waiting to see which team I'm going to go to. But I treated after my first day, nobody cared, number one pick, this, that. Nobody cared. You have to earn your place. I treated it as the beginning of, like, let me work. The work starts now. A lot of people sign, and it's like, the hard work has got me here. I'm here now. And mm -hmm. if I see that, you have to go. You're not going to make it. So it's more the attitude in training. Are you staying back? Do you want it? Are you asking a coach for advice? Are you watching film? Are you trying to be a pro? Are you sitting by the veteran guys in your position, asking them questions, picking their brains, things like that. And then ultimately it's games. If you, someone's played 10 games and you get them significant minutes and you just don't see it, mm -hmm. maybe you send them on loan. Maybe you say, go down to the second team, get some games. But I think you know pretty quickly if someone has it, because I can watch a game and someone can be having a bad game, and I can say that's still a good player. Mm -hmm. I can see it. That he, he's having a bad day, but he's a, you know he's trying the right thing. So I think it's a sense you'll feel it, but for me more, it depends on the player. What's the player's training habits? How is he in the locker room? Is, this some, is he 12 o'clock, we finish, 12.15, is in his car, he's going. Like that, that you're not going to make it. So I'd view it more from that perspective. Dude, these have been great questions, and we have some more questions from yeah. our fans that we uh, sourced from Twitter. So... Uh, FYI, they do not know the questions ahead of time that I've chosen. So these are live. We are going live. Uh, our first question is from Corey Mounts, and he asks, and this is a great question, uh, is it okay to root for Portland in CCL? And before you guys answer that, I do want to mention that our uh, colleague Keith Costigan has been on the call for a lot of those FS1 CCL games, so please check him out. Uh, but again, do you guys say, think it's okay to root for the Timbers That's in CONCACAF? Such a great question. And before, yes, I played for Portland before people on Twitter start talking about that. I did. I, I spoke to Keith yesterday, actually, about the Champions League. Here's, here's how I'm going to answer it, because my thinking has changed. But when I was growing up, I was an Arsenal fan. I didn't care if Man U were doing well in the Champions League. Like, it wasn't, oh, this is great for the Premier League. We didn't think of that way. And when Man U played Bayern Munich, and beat them in the Champions League final with two last minute goals, um, wherever it was, they came back from 2-1 down. Um, I was upset. I wanted Bayern Munich to beat them because that wasn't my team winning. 
I understand MLS is different. You want the first MLS team, I think, to win CONCACAF as is now. So maybe a fan can say, you know, I really want um, um, just anyone in MLS to win, just win. But I think you'd be crazy to be any to be super Sounders affiliated and want Portland to win. That's, that seems crazy to me. I don't think Merritt is ever wanting Adrian and the Sounders to win anything, no matter who you're playing. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say as a Sounders fan, I don't want Portland to win. Why would I? I don't care. I don't want him to be the first to go find the Champions League. So I would say no. I, I, I'm in the same boat. I, if it's any other, I, I have rooted for Salt Lake in the past, Toronto, because yeah. I want to see an MLS team win it. But yeah, there are certain lines you just don't cross. And I'm thinking about club days, right? Like when I used to play club, we were the Tempe Warriors and we had a team, Mesa Bayern, and the, that was our rival. And they won state, beat us in the final, and then they went to regionals. And it was like, I hope they lose every game 9-0. I don't care about that. I don't care if they represent Arizona and win. That does nothing for me, exactly. right? This is, it is a shade different because it is that champ, the CONCACAF Champions League. That If you win that, you get to go to the Club World Cup, right? Like, just... That to me, as a player, that is mind blowing to have even the opportunity to do that and have our, our you know, uh, league represented on that level. And it would be even harder to see Portland there in that situation that, than anything that's ever happened, right? Like, that's the last thing you want. You do want an MLS team there, but you don't want Portland there. I think that's where I'll leave it. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. I agree. All right, uh, next question. This is from, and this is his Twitter handle, which I agree with it very much. Mike, may I have racial equality? We agree with you. Uh, with Jordan Morris out, who do you think will replace him while he heals and recovers? Love you, Jomo, get well soon. Not um, saying that he is replaceable, but what do you guys do? You're yeah, that'll be no one, he's irreplaceable. Um, I, 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 will, I will go back to... So in 2011, when I had my injury, I remember talking to Alexi Lawless and he went on TV and he said, you know, the great thing the Sounders did that year, because they still had, I was a very important player for the team, but they didn't try to, we've got to find the next left winger that's going to take on double teams. Such a, they just changed their style a little bit. And Mauro Rosales became more prominent. They began to put more crosses and the team became very successful. So they changed how they played. And Jordan and I play different, but similar strengths in a way. I don't think we can replace his speed and getting in behind some of those threats even Schmetz talked about. Um, but do you make whoever it's going to be, more Jar Parlo in the middle, whoever, do you go through the middle? Do you go to the right more? Do you focus on Nuhu and Brad dominating the left in their own way? So I, he's irreplaceable, so no one. There's no like for like like him in this country, in this league, I don't think. But I think the team can compensate for any player if the tactics are right and the strategy is right as well, I would say. Yeah, if, it, you know, you could go spend DP money and find a, you know, a player that'll fit in there and, and do the job. Um, but I think Steve's right. Although, you know, you look at Columbus in the final and they lost Nagby and yeah. Pedro Santos and they came out and could have probably played better than if those two were in there. And is that a case of the team being motivated by a loss just in that moment, one game, and it's a final? Maybe. Um, or have the Sounders now, you know, Jordan's been 
I, I think it'd be much more difficult and I would be much more worried about the Sounders team if Jordan had done his ACL tomorrow or, you know, three days before the opening game. Yeah. The fact that they've had a whole preseason without him and it was expected that he was not going to be here for six, seven months. I think that mindset was already shifted towards, hey, we're, we're going to have to be without him anyways. Right. So from day one, Brad, you're going to come in and you're going to have to fill this role in some capacity, the best that we can. Tactically, we might have to shift and change formation, but this is how we see you being successful because we already know that Jordan's not going to be here. Yes. I think, and I hope that that is the mental difference, right? Like when you got your injury, it was like, what are we going to do? Right. Right. What are we going to do now? Right. Everyone, we were freaking out. Right. And that is not the situation here. Yes. It's tragic, but the team was already prepared before that, you know, moment happened so I think that that is okay not replaceable but I think you'll like Schmidt said you'll see a system change you might see a guy play who you know hasn't started before you're going to see a young guy out there that's going to have to do his thing um, as the season goes on I don't know what the budget looks like if things don't work out you're going to have to spend money last question is and it kind of segues a little bit so it's from steve lambert and apologies if i mispronounced anyone's name i'm just going off of twitter who do you think on the team has improved the most since last year or will surprise us this year so who has improved the most slash who will surprise us the most improve the most new who i would say because he, he, he had a great year he was for me a top five left back if not the very top um, didn't really get beat, became more tactically disciplined. We still had to see some better things in the final third. But I thought Lou had a fantastic season. His attitude seemed a bit better. Um, he last year improved. I think, I wouldn't say improved, but last year surprised me was Shane O'Neill. I didn't think he was going to come in and really, I mean, he, for me, him and Yamar were probably by the end the best partnership. Um, I didn't think he would do that. And I think he maybe didn't think he would do that. And he did that. Um, so I would say that in terms of who can surprise us this year, I mean, if you, what can you get from a Kelly role, for example? You know, can he give you four or five goals, a few assists, some solid minutes? He's very versatile, can play outside, left, right, inside, you know, can see your pass. What can you get from him? That, that, that would be a bonus, I think, what you get from him. Yeah, I would say uh, improved. Um, I think Alex Roldan continues to evolve and obviously shocked us all last year with his, you know, I remember we were messing around um, playing on top of some field in Capitol Hill last preseason. And he was like, hey, I don't have a contract. I don't know what I'm doing. This was a week before preseason started. I said, do you have any offers? And he was like, no, not really. And he was like, you know, three days before preseason started, he said, yeah, Sounders are going to invite me in. I got to work for a contract. And then he proved himself. And I think he obviously and absolutely surprised everyone and surpassed everyone's expectations. Now, can he do that again? It looks like he's, you know, he has the fitness and the capability to play that role in, um, you know, whatever it is, a five in the back. Um, and if he can continue to build on what he did last year, I think we'll, we will all be pleasantly surprised, especially losing Leardom, right? Um, now it's just a question. Can you do it over a whole season and be that guy in that, in that role? Surprise can still be Nuhu. I still think that he can develop into a better player. And I think that he'll have to be more disciplined this year, I think. And I'm hoping that that will surprise us and that will, come out of his game and that maturity as he gets to be older and, um, you know, have this veteran group lead him uh, in that locker room. I think he'll be a surprise this year in his calmness. I hope 
I still want to see craziness every once in a while, but I want him. Totally. That's the thing. You want to just harness his chaotic energy. You don't want to get rid of it because it's part of what makes him so great, but you just have to channel it. Yeah. Yeah. Channel it. Uh, I actually think Kel- I agree with Steve. I think Kellen Rowe is going to be a big surprise for people. I'm really curious to see how he does on a top tier franchise because he spent so much of his career with the New England Revolution. Shots. Ooh. Uh, I just so everyone. I, I used to work for New England Sports Network out in Boston, so that was a little <laughs> bit of a dig. Uh, but I, all seriousness, I am actually very curious to see how he does on it on a just an organization that really. Um, yeah, it's a bigger stage. Yeah, a bigger stage. It's okay, real fast. I think it's a bigger stage, but I think the roster last year was better than this year's roster, top to bottom. So I would have liked to have seen him with last year's group too, with you yeah, know yeah. Leardon yeah. and you know Gustav and, and those guys. Yeah. Calm, veteran, patience to have all those guys together would have been pretty cool. But you can't have all veteran guys all the time. But now he's added to that group of, of veteran leaders now. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to be great to see him sort of on like be able to play with that, some stability around him. I think it'll be fun to watch. And he's at home. He's got to be stoked, right? All right. Our last segment of today, let's do some fun uh, season predictions. These are a little bit more um, quirky, um, a little bit more fun. Um, I'll go first. I think that, and I know we talked a little bit about Alex rolled on. Uh, I think we're going to see a sibling sync up, and I think we're going to see Alex and Christian connect on a goal this year at least once. Uh, I would love to see it. I think everyone would love to see it. I know that they would love for that to happen, and that is my prediction. We will get to see a rolled on to rolled on goal at some point. Wow! Yeah, that would be. There, cool. Is there an over under on that? I'll t- I'll take the over if they're take playing the over. To lead together. I'll take the over. Okay. Over two. Over two. All right, let's go. Come on, rolled ons. Um. You know, I think it's time. I think we're going to see Nuhu score. I think he's going to score this year. He's going to play, if he's doing his job every game as a centre-back, and then maybe rest here and there. It's time. I think and the stadium will explode. Hopefully fans are back in by the time. I'm going to say Nuhu, you know, I'm going to put pressure on him. I'll, I'll let him know. But I think he's going to score this year. I think he's going to score. I think we'll see a Nuhu goal. And I just wonder, he's had so long that we better see just a killer celebration. So let's see. It has to be. Um, I'm going to predict that the Sounders are not going to lose to a franchise from LA this year. Ooh. Wow. That's yeah. a big prediction. It's a big lofty goal and a big lofty prediction. I know some people are cringing in their cars. Right now. <laughs> Just like threw the gauntlet down on Rave Green this year, man. Like they cannot yeah. lose to LA. That's fine. Why not? Yeah, true. Guys, stay tuned for next week. Thanks again to Schmetz for joining us. As always, thanks to all of you listeners. Um, Listen, subscribe, rate, comment, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back this time next week previewing official match day preview, the first one of the year. Um, Home game against Minnesota United. Fingers crossed there can be some of you in the stadium. We'll see what happens over the weekend. Um, it's excited, man. It's come quickly, and I'm actually excited to see Freddie Montero back in Ravery. Uh, we spent a lot of time playing with him, you know, not Freddie for a very long time, so it'll be exciting to see him play. And we'll be back next week. Sounders Minnesota coming up. Uh, this is Side by Side signing out.